Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be primarily. Uh, but there are a, a few other passages we're going to go to really before we get into Acts chapter 9 uh, this morning. The past month, we've, we've done a series called Reset. We just finished that this past Sunday. And it was all about that reset life that Jesus wants us to have. And we started with the heart, and really everything flows from the heart. We have to make sure that our heart is right with God, our heart is in tune with God, our, our heart is where God wants us to be. And if our heart truly is in tune with God, then everything else will flow out of that. That our mind will be reset, as we talked about, we'll be thinking on things that are true and honest and lovely and pure and just of a good report. As we continue that thought, uh, we'll be speaking things we should be speaking and saying our voice will be reset. And then as we finished last week, our hands will be reset as well for service to our King. Uh, but really, this, this new series that we're going to dive into really almost is a transition from what we just talked about. Two years ago, I did a series on grace, and it was just simply called This is Grace. How many were here when I uh, preached that? How many remember that series? There's a few of us that did. And uh, grace is something that has truly overwhelmed me. It's something that I, I just I, I can't fully grasp. And what I mean is that I think many of us that have been in church any time in our lives, we, we understand, we've heard words like grace. We've heard messages on grace. Uh, but grace isn't just a word. It's more than a word. Uh, grace is something that really should just overwhelm us, overtake us in our lives. And, and I fear that so often, and I say this to myself first and foremost, that I think many of us have a limited view of grace. And the series title suggests limitless. You know, there's a lot of words we can use to describe grace. Uh, amazing, uh, marvelous, uh, unending, unmatching. Uh, but one of, the, one of my favorite words to describe it is limitless. And by that I mean because there is no end. It just keeps going and going and going. And really, this, this subject of grace is something that I could preach a series on every year and never fully exhaust until the Lord comes back. And I want us to, to try to go a little bit deeper than even we did a couple of years ago into this subject and just looking at the power of grace. Because the power of grace is what truly sets you free. As Michael was suggesting today and as I've been talking about on Wednesday nights, the power of grace is what can break those chains of addiction or whatever it is that we struggle with. The power of grace, as we know in the Bible to be true, is what saves us. And I am so thankful that I am saved by the grace of God. And when you study out grace, it's more than just a word. It's more than just a girl's name. Grace is that unmerited favor, that undeserved favor that God gives to us. No one in here deserves the grace of God. But that's what makes it so amazing and so truly limitless of its power. And I think of my own life. I was saved when I was four years old, almost five years old. I didn't have a, a wicked life before that at that time. But I'm still thankful that God's grace reached down and touched me as a little boy. And I'm so thankful for many of you in here today that God's grace has reached out and touched your life and saved you from 
your sin. Some of us in here today have a wicked past, a wicked lifestyle. But the grace of God has the power to help you overcome that and transform you into something that God wants you to be. And that's really what we're going to look at today, the transforming power of grace and how grace transforms our identity. If you've been in this church at all this past year, you've understood that we've been hitting on identity, especially on Wednesday nights, that our world has an identity crisis. But for the Christian, your identity should not be tied up to your performance. It should not be tied up to who you think you are. Your identity is tied to who God says you are. And that's the most important thing. And as we looked at, and we'll look at a little bit later in this message in Ephesians chapter 1, a little bit later, but God tells us who exactly we are, and it's truly an amazing thing. But I'm thankful for verses like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourself, that is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I cannot work my way into heaven. You cannot work your way into heaven. It's only by God's grace, by God's unmerited, undeserved favor that He has given us a chance to accept Him. You know, there's so many words in the Scriptures that I love. You know, I love the word mercy. I'm thankful for mercy. I'm thankful for God's mercy. I'm thankful for what it entails, for what it means to me. Mercy is, what, not getting what we deserve? Is that right? Did I say that right? Yeah, not getting what we deserve. I always mess those up sometimes. It's not getting what we deserve. I'm, I'm thankful that there's been times where I've received mercy, right? I'm sure many of you guys are thankful for that as well, that you're thankful that you've uh, had someone bestow mercy upon you. And I was listening to a lot of messages this week, a lot of podcasts, a lot of uh, books that I was reading, commentaries I was reading, trying to just fully grasp, and I still don't fully grasp it, fully grasp this doctrine of grace. And I mean, I spent hours and hours and hours of just reading and studying and listening, and it just overwhelmed me. But I think I heard one preacher say, and I can't even remember who it was because I listened to so many different things this week. Uh, he said, you know, mercy is a great thing. But just, just suppose that, that God had just given us His mercy. That what we deserve, yes, is death and hell and punishment because of our sins. And mercy is not getting what we deserve. So what if God didn't do that to us, but what if He instead just annihilated us? In a sense, that's still merciful. <laughs> it kind of blew me away a little bit, but the point He was trying to make is that grace goes even farther than that. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. We don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve God's salvation. But I'm thankful that God, who is rich in mercy, but is so rich in grace, and that He wants to bestow His grace upon our lives. And He wants us to understand the power of His grace. That the power of His grace has no limits Limits means a point or level beyond which something does not or may not extend or pass. Look, there is a limit to what I can do as a human being, but there are no limits to what grace can do. A little bit later in our, our service today, we're going to have a baptism. Zoe just got saved a couple weeks ago, and it's an amazing thing. And not just to put her on the spot, but for so many people that have been saved, it's an amazing story of grace. Because you didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve what God has done for you. And I'm thankful that God doesn't just pick and choose, well, that person is worthy, but that person is not. 
I'm so thankful that He has clothed us in His grace and that grace is for anyone and everyone who will come and receive His wonderful gift of salvation. But so many of us, as I said, have a limited view of what grace is all about. It's more than we realize. And I could just go on and on and on about this today, but I don't want to do that. I really want to get into this message this morning because I want to give us a very, very practical application after we look at this scripture in Acts chapter 9. I want to put a little disclaimer on this. You know, some of you that know me as a preacher, you know, sometimes I can get a little animated, right? Sometimes. It doesn't happen often, but sometimes I can get a little animated. Sometimes I can get a little passionate. So my disclaimer for this message is this. I may very well get a pretty, pretty passionate with this message, okay? I was going over it last night as I do Saturday nights. It's my time to just spend with God and kind of review all my notes and the message and everything like that. Sometimes I come to my office here at the church. Sometimes I kind of walk around and just pray and just seek the Lord. Sometimes I'm at home when everyone's asleep. And, and last night, you know, I'm, I'm just amazed that I didn't wake up our kids, which is a good thing because I was just getting amped up with this message and just excited about this application that I want to give you that God has given me today. So a little disclaimer, it might get a little, not heated, but might get a little passionate today. I'm not going to beat my hand against the pulpit or anything like that. I'm still trying to recover from the last time, and I think it's affected my golf game, so I'm going to try to stop that for a little while if I can. But Acts chapter 9, if you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me and stand if you would. We're just going to read a couple of verses this morning, and we're going to dive into this passage uh, as we go throughout this message today. Verse number 1, the Bible says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they be men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. So those that might not be familiar with this, Saul is who? Who is Saul? The Apostle Paul, yes. Uh, This is before he got saved. This is before Jesus came into his life. So Saul was a very bad dude. He was a very wicked individual. What I mean by that is he was very instrumental in the death of a lot of Christians. Uh, He was instrumental in the death of Stephen, who was a deacon in the church at Jerusalem. Uh, Stephen was stoned to death, and that's a horrible way to die. But uh, Paul or Saul had a great pedigree, had a great background. He was a Jew, and he was a very religious leader, and he knew a lot of things about the law concerning the law. He knew a lot of things about God, but he didn't discover this subject of grace until after he was saved. And, And this is the start of his journey of grace. This is when he got saved as he's going to Damascus, and he's, as he's on this road to Damascus, he's actually going there to either put more people to prison or actually to kill more people. And we see in verse number 3, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. There was this great light from heaven. And he fell to earth and heard a voice saying unto him, and this voice was the voice of God or the voice of Jesus, Saul, Saul. Why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, I thank you for this day. And Lord, you know how overwhelmed I am with this this message this morning and this subject. And and God, I pray that you'd help me to, to give it justice what I mean by that is help me to really just portray the principles that we see in this amazing passage. 
as Saul was transformed by your grace as he got saved and his life was forever changed. And Lord, the application that we can make in our own lives that, Lord, our identity is changed. The moment we get saved, the moment we trust you as our Savior, we're no longer who we were. We're no longer dead in our sins. We've been quickened. We've been made alive. So God, I pray that you'd help us to live like individuals who have been made alive. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless me. I pray that you'd help me to deliver this message in the way that it's fitting. Lord, if there's someone today that has never trusted you as Savior, that has never received your wonderful gift of salvation and and your grace, I pray that today might be the day that they come to a saving knowledge of you. Heavenly Father, we love you in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. You know, when I think of grace and the limitless powers behind it, I can't help but think of what grace does for the individual. I can't help but think of what grace has done in my life, and especially the Apostle Paul, or as we look in this passage, Saul, before he was saved. And I made a comment last week in the message that kind of helped push the series forward today. But grace is more than just a decision we make. It's a journey that we take. Again, Paul, before he got saved, was Saul. He was an individual who knew the law. He was an individual who did everything he could to stamp out Christianity. He didn't understand it. He thought they were zealous or zealots, and, and he, he wanted to, to get rid of them. Anyone that, that differed from his opinion, his view on things, he was going to stamp them out. He was going to throw them in prison. He was going to help behead them or throw stones at them. He was going to do whatever he can or whatever he could to make sure that their voice was not heard anymore. But then as he's on this journey, as he's on this road to Damascus to deliver more news and to to help maybe get other people uh, killed or thrown into jail, something happens. This bright light shines down from heaven and the voice of Jesus speaks to him. Verse number five, we see, or verse number four, he, fell, he falls to the earth. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why, why persecutest thou me? Why have you been doing what you've been doing? Verse number five, and he says, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus. I'm the one that you've been persecuting, the one that you've been going against. Now, when Saul was alive, he actually was alive at the time when Jesus was alive. And this is shortly after probably Jesus' death and burial on the cross. Saul had probably heard of Jesus. Maybe he even had an encounter with Jesus. And now he hears this voice from heaven that is Jesus and, and asking him, calling out to him, why have you been doing what you've been doing? Why have you been persecuting me? Why have you been uh, killing Christians? Why have you been just going after them? You, you don't understand what, what's going on. And what happens next is really the amazing limitless power of grace on full display. You think about this. Saul did not deserve a second chance, did he? Saul didn't deserve to be saved. What Saul deserved was probably at least, if not worse, what Stephen got, right? He deserved to be there in that, that pit or area and have a bunch of stones thrown at him, or again, even worse than that. But God, rich in mercy and also rich in grace, 
decided to do something a little bit different. And again, I, and I, maybe I feel like I'm, I'm babbling today, and I, I promise I'll get going here in just a minute, but I guess I'm, I'm just so overwhelmed by this topic this morning. I'm so overwhelmed at what grace has done in my life and what grace did in the Apostle Paul's life. One of the greatest Christians that the world has ever seen. See, on that road to Damascus, something happened. He met a man named Jesus who changed his destiny. Verse number six, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless. I can only imagine their faces as they see this bright light, as this, this blinding light from heaven, this voice from heaven is speaking out. But they didn't see any man. Verse number eight, and Saul arose from the earth and when his eyes were open, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand. So he was blinded. He could not see. And the men that were with him, they brought him to Damascus. And, and there he was there in Damascus, verse number nine, without sight, and neither did he eat or drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. This is a follower of Jesus. This is a Christian, one that has trusted Christ as his Savior. Now, he knew of Saul. I think all Christians knew of Saul and what Saul did. And the Lord also spoke to Ananias in a vision. Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. He's praying and seeking me. And I want you to go to him and, and help him understand who I am and Verse number 12, and hath seen a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him and that he might receive his sight. <clears throat> then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. So imagine this if you would. Imagine the worst individual in this town, in this city, in this, this community that you know that is a wicked, worthless, no good, rotten individual. And God speaks to you and says, I want you to go to that person's house. But God, you don't know this kind of person. You don't know who they are. You don't know what they've done, even to me or to my family, to my friends. Imagine there was an individual that was so against Christianity that their intent was to destroy Christianity, to destroy anything that you believed in. And God said, that's the person I want you to go to. That's the person I want you to go to their house and talk to them. And I'd be like, God, I don't know if I could do that. Again, do you know what they've done? Do you know what they've said? Do you know what they've done to other individuals, my friends? Verse 14. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. You know, Lord, any Christian, he can just kill them or throw them into prison. Verse 15, but the Lord said in him, okay, go ahead, you know, do whatever you want, that's fine. No. You see, God had a greater plan, God had a greater purpose. Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into his house and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, 
The Lord, even Jesus, hath appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest. He hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight. And this really wasn't just a physical sight. This was a spiritual sight as well. And he, being filled with the Holy Ghost, and immediately there fell from his eyes that it had been scales. And he received sight forthwith and arose, and he was baptized. Again, he didn't just receive that physical sight, that spiritual sight, that understanding that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. And as soon as Ananias went and talked to him and and preached to him, he got saved that day and his life was forever changed. The story continues, the narrative continues, and we're going to continue it here in just a minute, but I want you to understand that grace is very transformative. What I mean, there is a lot of things in this life that we can try to do to change us. You know, I, I could bring someone up today and we can have a chair up here and, all right, we're going to have a transformation today. We're going to have a makeover. Anybody up for a makeover today? <laughs> It'd be funny, especially if I was the one doing the makeover. But imagine we had a makeover and I pulled someone up and right, we're going to have a makeover. Typically, when we do a makeover, where do we start? We start on the outside, right? And we try to make over the outside so the outside looks great. And you can change the outside of someone to, to look good, but does that change the inside? No. You see, our world so often, what we're trying to do is we're trying to change the outside. We're trying to give ourselves a, a transformation, a change on the outside. If I, if I just look better, I'm going to feel better. Well, that's not true. But I want you to understand about the gospel. And I want you to understand about the, uh, really this doctrine of grace. Grace doesn't start on the outside, does it? Grace goes within. Grace starts on the inside and changes the person inside out, not outside in. And I want you to think about this. It, it might be in your notes today if you want to start taking notes. Paul wasn't just covered by grace. He was transformed by grace. You see, this undeserved favor transformed Paul like nothing else could. Get this down. Salvation is not merely an addition. What I mean is not, well, I'm just going to get saved so I can add Jesus to the list of everything else in my life. Salvation is not just an addition. Salvation is a transformation. It is a complete change. It's the change that starts on the inside and works its way out of you. And when grace gets a hold of a person and that person gets a hold of grace, amazing things happen. Grace causes us to see. And here's the first thing that we see this morning. Grace is what we see after we see the light. And who is the light, as it says in John? Jesus Christ. Grace is what we see after we see the light. Saul didn't understand grace until he saw the light, until he saw Jesus Christ. You see, for Paul and for us today, grace is a way of seeing And none of us are likely candidates for grace. Yet again, that's what's so amazing about grace. One of the books I've been reading is by a man, by a preacher by the name of John Lindell. He says, God sees us not just as we are, but as we can yet become. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that God doesn't just see me or you as you are. He sees you as you could become. And when grace gets a hold of a person, that person gets a hold of a grace, amazing things are possible by the limitless power of grace. And again, this is all introductory. This is all setting up this application today. Look, Paul's transformation did not happen overnight. 
And what I mean is, the moment he got saved, yes, he was starting to be transformed in the image of his son, the image of Jesus, but it's not that he got saved and everything just changed and his life was, was, was forever different. No, don't, don't, don't mistake me here, what I'm saying. What I mean is that, you know, the person that Paul was 20 years down the road was not the person he was when he got saved. You know, Paul didn't immediately just start writing epistles, did he? He didn't immediately start going on missionary journeys. He didn't. When you study out his history and his timeline, it took several years because he had to be discipled. He had to understand just who this Jesus was. He had a lot of knowledge of God. He had a lot of knowledge of the law. And when you study it out, and I've I've done that this week, I think he spent upwards of three years in Damascus, probably at the feet of, of Ananias, just studying this subject of grace and studying Jesus. And it was, it was um, uh, 12 years before he took his first missionary journey. He wrote his first letter, which was the letter to Thessalonians and 1 Thessalonians after 16 years of salvation. It took him 22 years after salvation to write what is referred to as the Magna Carta of Grace since the book of Romans. When he got saved, he was roughly 30 years old. People say between 28 and 31. And he died around 62, 63. So he spent the first half of his life just beating down Christianity. But then he spent the last half of his life being changed, being transformed. Spent the first 30 years under the scrutiny of the law and the last 30 years under the freedom of grace. But here's what Jesus gives us and uses for us. You see, when we're saved by grace... Jesus, first and foremost, gives us His Spirit. Look at verse number 17 of Acts chapter 9. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even the Lord, hath appeared unto thee in the way that thou camest and hast sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. The moment you're saved, you are filled with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost indwells within the believer. Jesus gives us His Spirit because we can't get this... Uh, we, we can't go on this journey alone, can we? We need someone to help us. We need the Holy Spirit coming and helping us. John MacArthur says, the Holy Spirit is the engine of your entire Christian life. It's what drives us. But we continue on. Verse number 19. Not only does Jesus give us His Spirit, but Jesus also uses community. Here's what I mean. We are a team, not just an individual. When we're on this journey of grace, when we're on this journey of of this transformation of understanding who our identity is, it's not just an individual journey of, of, of just going at it alone. Jesus gives us other people. That's why we have a church. That's why we have a local body of believers that are encouraging each other, not discouraging each other. Look at verse number 19. And when he had received his sight, he was strengthened that Saul certain days with the disciples. So here he is with others that have heard about Jesus, learned about Jesus, been saved. So now he's with them, which were in Damascus. Another thing that Jesus does is this. He gives us his spirit. He uses community. But the third thing is he uses faithful service. Go back to verse number six. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And this is interesting. This is what God had spoke to him that day. And, and the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it, it shall be told thee what thou must do. And that's the same thing that Jesus does for us. When we get saved or any time that God is speaking to us, he says, I want you to do what I tell you to do. 
And he wants us to be faithful in our service to him. You look down at verse number 20, this thought continues. And straightway, what happened after he got saved, after he spent time with the disciples? Verse number 20, and straightway he what? He preached. Who did he preach? Christ in the synagogues. This same man that was against Christ is now preaching Christ. He preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. This is completely contrary to what Saul was doing before. Go down to verse number 29. It says, And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. So now the person that was slaying Christians is now the person that's wanting to, or people are wanting to slay him. But the point I'm trying to make is this. Jesus uses faithful service. He wants us to faithfully serve him. A fourth thing that Jesus gives or uses us, and again, it's all introductory notes getting us to the main point here today. Jesus uses fearless suffering. Look at verse number 16 again. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. You know, maybe this is because of everything that Saul had done. Look at verse number 23. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to what? To kill him. You know, you think about it, Christianity is not for the weak at heart. I think sometimes people think, oh, we get saved and everything is just, you know, roses and everything is great. Now, God wants us to have a thriving, victorious Christian life, and he wants us to live in victory, and he wants us to, to abound in his grace and love, but it doesn't mean everything is going to be easy. And especially for Saul, this wasn't going to be easy. He was trying to kill people, now people are trying to kill him, verse number 24, but they're laying away was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. So now he's, he's a man that's hunted because he's been saved and his life has been transformed. People want this guy dead. So Jesus uses fearless suffering. And he said back in verse 16, your will that I'm giving you is to suffer for my name's sake. But I want you to notice something very important as you study out the life of Paul. Did Paul run from that? No. But how many times in our lives do we try to run from suffering? I don't want to suffer. I don't want to have to go through this affliction, but maybe God has called us to suffer. I'm not saying that God has called us to suffer for our stupidity, because sometimes we are, I'm just being honest, we make foolish choices, right? Well, God is just making me suffer. Well, maybe it's the choice that you put upon yourself, and that's why you're suffering. You fill your life and you fill your body with things that shouldn't be in your life and your body, you're going to be suffering not because Jesus put it on you, but because your stupidity put it in you. And Paul, when he was suffering, it's not for his stupidity. He's suffering for Christ. And, I, and this is important. Maybe some of us were created to suffer. Ever thought about that? Like, this isn't a good message. Don't worry, it's going to get better, I promise. But maybe some of us were called and created to suffer. Paul was. The whole theme of this year is thrive, understanding we were made for more. So Paul, his life, he wasn't made to be a killer of Jews and Christians and, and those that were serving God. He was really called to suffer for Christ. What if God has called you to suffer for Christ? But now we get to the main point of this message. And the part that really just blows me away, when you study out 
this amazing chapter, and you study out the amazing transformation of Saul to Paul, and we don't have time to talk about that. You come on Wednesday nights, and you're going to learn a lot more of what Paul has done since he got saved. I encourage you to come on Wednesday nights. It's my favorite service because we're just diving deep into God's Word. But here's the message today. This is what it's all about. This is the power of grace. And this is the amazing and awesome thing that happens. You see, once we get saved, this is what grace does. Grace activates us. Grace activates us. What does activate mean? Activate means to make active, to to cause, to function, or to act. We were not saved to just be on the bench in the Christian life, were we? We were called to active service. You know, I think about it in sports. Someone who's been activated from the DL, from the disabled list. What it means is now they can play. They're active. When they're disabled, they cannot play. They're on the bench, but now that they're active, they have an opportunity to play. When Jesus Christ has saved your soul, when His grace has come down, He has activated you to serve Him, to love you, to give, his, to give your life for Him. Does that make sense? So grace activates us. We've been activated by God's grace. And here's what I mean, and this is where it's really going to get good this morning, here in the next few minutes. Grace has a way of igniting us. Grace ignites us. Go throw them all up on the screen. Grace ignites us to believe. It ignites us to trust. It ignites us to love, to serve. And grace ignites us to claim our true identity, to understand who we are and why we were created, that we were created for Christ. The moment you get saved, your identity is now staked into something that is truly anchored something that is meant to last, something that is sure, something that is fastened, something that is secure. And we've studied this in Ephesians chapter 1. We've seen all that we are in Christ, all that I am, the moment we get saved, and some of the things that we listed is, I am blessed, I am chosen, I am adopted, I am accepted, I am redeemed, forgiven, I have wisdom, understanding, completion, I have an inheritance, I am sealed. Those are just a few of the things that we have in Christ. God has given us a new identity. Why are you getting so passionate? I don't know, but I am. And I've said this before. We'll never understand who we are in Christ until we understand who God is and what he's done for us. And what he's done for us is he's given us his grace. And he's given us his grace not to sit on the sidelines. He's given us his grace not to do what we want to do. He has given us his grace, that undeserved, unmerited favor to serve him, to live for him, to give our lives for him, to love him. Grace activates us. Grace ignites us. Have you been ignited by grace this morning? I hope you have. Because it's the grace of God that saves your soul. And as I was thinking about this and really reviewing it last night, again, it just hit me. You know, so many many people struggle with this this concept. So many people struggle in their Christian lives and, and so many churches are falling apart. Maybe it's because people aren't truly saved. Because to me, if you're truly saved... You've been ignited. You've been ignited to do what God has called you to do. And if you've been ignited, that means you've been set on fire, right? Grace activates you for His service. Well, I just struggle with all this. Then you don't understand who you are in Christ. Go back on the podcast. You can listen to all the Wednesday nights and you'll understand, hopefully, who you are in Christ. And we're going to get this later on in this series, probably towards the end of the month, that grace sets us free. It liberates us to serve God freely. 
to give our lives to him. Look, we become God's. He becomes us. You know, we are in Christ over and over and over in Paul's epistles. He uses that phrase, in Christ. It's not just we're with Christ. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. And this is good. This is, this is good. That moment of belief is combustible. The moment you get saved, it's combustible. You know what that word means? It means able to catch fire and burn easily. You ever lit something on fire? Yes, you probably have some pyros in here. I know David Jackson is one of those. He understands this concept of combustibility. <laughs> You're right, he probably doesn't. But let me ask this question. I've got a box of matches up here today. It's a dangerous thing. Should have had David come up and help me, but I don't think I will. What good is this match if it sits here and does nothing? It's no good. I mean, I can use it for, I don't know, bookmark. But is that what it's created to be? Is this match created to be a bookmark? What is this match created for? Fire. To be lit, right? And, and a lot of times what happens in our lives is, you know, God comes in with his grace that he's bestowed upon us, that he's given us, that, he's, that, he's, that we don't deserve. And he said, you are this match. And what I want to do is I want to activate you. What I want to do is I want to make you combustible. But look, this match cannot activate itself, can it? No matter how hard it tries, go ahead, activate. It's not working. This match cannot activate itself, can it? You cannot activate yourself, can you? It's only the grace of God that can activate you. It's only the grace of God that can make you who you're supposed to be. Look, it doesn't matter how hard we try. It doesn't matter how hard we do or, and, and live our life. Excuse me, live our lives. We can't save ourselves. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, before Christ, we were dead in sins. And some of us here today may still be dead in your sins. And I'm not talking about those that are saved. I'm talking about those that are lost. You haven't been activated. You're like this match that is useless. That is no good. That is worthless. And I'm not saying that you're a worthless individual, but without Christ, you are. You're not who you're supposed to be. God wants to do so much more in your life. And stay with me. Stay with me. Jesus, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, and you hath he what? Quickened. What does the word quickened mean? It means made alive. So what God has done is he has made us alive. How do we make a match alive? It's alive. It's not combustible. You know, I talked about last year that I don't think God just wants us to show up or God doesn't want to just show up. He wants to blow it up. We should just go deeper. You know, God wants to light us on fire. So let's just all be lit on fire and light these pews on fire, right? I'm not going to do that today. Don't worry. Can you give me a cup? I probably should have one. Oh, water. 
Perfect. Just don't drink this. Just leave it. God wants to activate us. He wants us to be lit on fire, and that's exactly what grace has done. You know, there's a whole box of matches that are useless unless they've been activated. But the moment of belief, the moment you get saved, oh, whoops, didn't mean to do that. The moment you get saved, you've been activated. Now this match and the fire are one, right? We are one with Christ. But how many of us are still living like this? We're trying to live like this. Now, eventually, there is a limit to this match, and eventually, as we know, it'll, it'll run out. But the point I'm trying to make is that God's power, God's grace is limitless. He keeps us on fire. He keeps us burning. Look, we've been made alive. We've been activated. That moment the match is lit, something happens. It becomes fire, becomes dangerous and beautiful. It becomes scary and awesome, destructive and necessary, small and big. It becomes limitless. And when you've been activated by grace, excuse me, your potential is limitless. Think of everything that Paul did after he got saved. Could he have done that before Christ? No. He did that because of Christ. And there might be individuals today that have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have never allowed the grace of God to come down and save your soul. Look, it doesn't matter how much works you do. You will never be saved. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how many times you come to church and how many times you come to this altar. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, you are not activated. You are like this match that is useless. But God wants to activate you today. And He's given us His grace, something we don't deserve. Something we can never pay for. He's given us His grace to, to, to make us combustible. So imagine, imagine if we truly understood the limitless power of grace. If God has activated us, and he is that power driving us and that fire igniting us. What could we do? Well, Jesus is the fire and he de- he, we don't deserve to be lit. <laughs> we don't deserve to be lit, but God has, rich in his mercy and his grace, has given us a chance to be lit. Grace is not earned, it's not deserved. Paul didn't deserve God's favor. He didn't deserve to be chosen and used by God. He didn't deserve to go from killing to be the one that was going to be killed. Look, we don't deserve God's grace. We don't deserve what Jesus can offer us. But today, if you're a child of God, if you're a child of the Most High, you've been activated. Mike, come up here. Amanda. Billy, Ron. I'm not going to light you on fire, don't worry. <laughs> oh, I thought he was getting something out. I'm just stand over here. I'm not trying to put you guys on the spot, but I, I believe it to be true. Have you been saved? Yes. You've been saved? Yes, sir. You've been saved? Yes. You've been saved? You know what you guys have been? You've been activated. 
which means there is potential. There is magnificent potential that God wants to do. God has ignited you with his power. And if you're here today, this is just four, but if you're here today and you've been saved, God has ignited you with his power. Well, I just can't get over my past. (laughs) We're going to get to that. Your past has been crucified with Christ. Forget about your past. Forget about your hangups. Worry about what God wants you to be and who he's called you to be, who he's made you to be. You've been activated. You've been ignited. You four especially, and all of other ones that have been saved, have been ignited by his grace. So do something with it. My goodness. Thanks, you can go to your seats. Why are you getting so excited? Because I wish we could get this. Man, I wish we could understand this. I wish we could understand who God has made us to be, who God has called us to be, that we're not a useless match. And how many useless matches do we have in Christianity? A lot. What good is it? What good are you to just sit here and do nothing? You are not saved to sit on the sidelines, to be on the disabled list. You have been activated by God's grace. If you're saved, you've been activated, have you not? You've been ignited, so get up and do something. Man. You know, this past month was a great month for me, especially because it helped me understand that I've been reset, or I need to be reset. Because there's times where I get off track. There's times where I just start doing what I want to do. Jesus has to reach down and says, no, 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 that fire is still going. That fire is still burning. Chris, I've activated you. I've ignited you to serve, to trust, to believe, to love, to live, to to be who I've called you to be, so be that person. And the core truth is it says, if you're saved, you've been activated by grace. You have been activated by grace. So go live out the explosive nature of a gospel-shaped, grace-driven identity. Your identity is not in your past if you've been saved today, church. Your identity is in Christ. He has set you free. He has liberated you. And I dare say in a congregation this size that there are individuals today that are like this match, that have never trusted Christ as your Savior. You have never allowed Jesus Christ to activate you to ignite you. Here in just a few minutes, we're going to give an opportunity to be activated. And something you can do, you can come forward to an altar. Someone will show you from the Bible how to be saved, but it's something you can do in your seats because salvation is simple. And I'm not trying to, you know, just, hey, one, two, three, repeat after me. That's not what this is about, but it is as simple as believing over and over in the Bible, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on what He did. Believe on what He can do. And what happens? You can be saved, right? And that's something you don't have to come forward if you're scared. You can go to the back. You can be in your seats. You can kneel and say, God, I am a sinner. Lord, I need you as my Savior. I am tired of living my life on my own. That's this match that was made for more. God, please come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins and be my Savior. It's really as simple as that. Christianity is as simple as that, but sometimes I've done it, we've done it, we try to make it much more than what it is. 
It's simple. It's believing, admitting you're a sinner, believing that Jesus is the Savior and confessing our sins to him. And if we've done that, you know what? You can be saved. You can be activated. And if you're saved today and you have been activated, are you using the explosive power of the gospel to live out your lives? If you're not, then why not? Grace is limitless. But what do we try to do is we try to limit grace. We try to stamp it down because, man, I don't want to be like Paul. I don't want to have to suffer. I don't want to have to go through all kinds of trials and persecutions. This life is not the end, folks. There's something far better waiting for us. And who cares if you have to suffer in this life because what's to come is so greater than what is here on this earth. Now, we should still try to live the best that we can and, and enjoy the life that God has given us. He wants us to do that. He wants us to have this abundant life here on this earth and not just be so focused on heaven that we're not even worried about this earth and the life that he's given us to live. But I want to encourage you today to go live the explosive power of the gospel. If you've been saved, you're activated. Say this with me. I, if you've been saved, I have been activated. Ready? I have been activated. So if you've been activated, then go live out the gospel. Go live out the explosive nature of God's grace. Paul did. What could happen if individuals in this church that have been activated six months ago, two weeks ago, 58 years ago, actually live out the explosiveness of God's power. But I'm young, I can't do anything. But I'm old, I can't do anything. Do you still have breath in you? You can do a lot. So quit trying to be a useless match. That's not what it was made for. It's made to be activated. And this fire is an amazing thing. Fire of God is an amazing thing. He helps you get over your fear, your guilt, your shame, your disgust. He wants to keep that fire burning inside of you. But we try to stamp it out. It's just, it's just too much. You don't understand grace. And we're going to hit this later, but it's not an excuse to sin. Well, I have grace, so God's just going to have to forgive me. Some of us live like that, and you're wrong. And we're going to look at that in a few weeks. But if you're saved today, you've been activated. So live like you've been activated. And if you're here today and you never trusted Jesus Christ, He wants to activate you. He wants to save your soul. He wants to transform your identity into who you were and who you can become.